Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. I'm encouraging you over the next few months between now and Easter to pray for people who do not yet know the Lord. Pray for a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend. Be praying for other people. Be praying on your own in the presence of God. And here's where I've asked some of you um, over the last, or I've asked our entire church in the month of January to be reading through the message on the Mount every single day, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So now that we've finished that, we're going on to the next phase of that. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying through the message on the Mount. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right that when we pray the Word of God, we are praying the will of God. And so one of the frustrations in prayer that we have is we don't know what to say. I'm convinced that the Scripture not only contains everything from God that we need to hear, it also contains what we need to say back to God. And so I'm just asking you to join me over the next few months. I'm going to take time during my midweek updates to talk about what it means to pray the Scripture. So our work with the message on the mount as a community and as individuals is going to continue between now and Easter. So I've asked you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to ask you just to put your finger on verse 17 because we're going to come to it in just a moment. Member of our church, friend, NFL referee, Clay Martin. Clay spoke to our men, the men of our church, just a few months ago. We met in our adult conference center, and he spoke to a couple of hundred of our guys for about an hour about football, and he could have talked for five hours about football. He, had, he was a fantastic speaker, but also he had everyone's attention glued. But what I remember most is what he said. He said his mentor in refereeing taught him to take the NFL rule book and to read it for one hour every day one hour every day on the NFL rule book. Now, I think after a while you got it, but in essence, as, as an NFL ref, you're going to need to think fast, okay? You're going to have questions you're going to need to answer. You want to inspire your crew to increase their knowledge and their expertise. And if you've not noticed this in football, sometimes there's some crazy plays. So you have to have the context of how to make the right decision and how to make the best call on that play. To spend an hour a day on a rule book. I think some of you know where I'm going with this. The Bible is not a rule book, okay? Now, it contains rules, but I've heard some people refer to this as, you know, here's the rule book for life. The Bible is not a rule book. If it's not a rule book, what is it? Now, it does contain rules. I ask you to put your finger on Matthew 5:17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. So the Bible itself does contain rules, but it's so much more than that. If the Bible is not a rule book, what is it? It's a relationship book. It's a book that teaches us how to relate to the God who created us, how to relate to God once our lives have been tainted by sin, how to relate to the God who has come for us in Jesus Christ, who has died, buried, resurrected, and how to hang on to a relationship until either we die or Christ comes again. And Jesus makes that point by saying, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And he says this, 
If anyone takes the least one of these rules and disregards it and teaches others to do the same, they'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these things will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Then he says something really scary. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've even had people email me say, that's a scary line because these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were very religious people. So much so that a good teacher of the law, if he saw a pretty woman walk by, would close his eyes so he would not be attracted to her. And he would close his eyes and he would rather run smack dab into a wall. The Hebrew word for smack dab is smack dab, just smack dab into a wall. <laughs> would rather run smack dab into a wall rather than be tempted by looking at a pretty, that's, that's how rigorous they were. But, but get this, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were relating to rules. You and I are called to relate to God, not to the rules. It's about relating to Him. So there's a word for this. There's a word that captures what our relationship with God should look like, and it's the word righteousness. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we're not to relate to rules, we're to relate to God. So that being said, and by the way, as I've been reading the message in the Mount over and over again, there have been some light bulbs that have finally come on for me after long last. I think I'm beginning to understand some things. There were Jesus starts in the message of the Mount talking about a Christian's character through the Beatitudes and a Christian's influence through the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Now he's talking about a Christian's righteousness. Our relationship is not to be with the rules. Our relationship is to be with God. That being said, the world is filled with evil. How in the world do we relate to God and also resist the evil that is in the world around us. A few weeks ago, I stood in front of a large building, a huge monolith, in a rundown area of a foreign town. And this huge hotel, by the way, just returned from a trip to Scotland. Uh, by the way, if you've seen a picture of me dressed in a kilt, it was generated by artificial intelligence. I never wore a kilt. <laughs> Actually, I did. I was surprised how manly I felt in a kilt. We in Edinburgh, Scotland, and we were in one of the ghettos, and there's this huge building that rises out of this really bad area of town, and our host said, this is called Heartbreak Hotel. And it's called that because people who live in poverty around here, if they have family, they can kind of survive, but then once their family is gone, if they have to move into this hotel and live by themselves, there's a 30% greater chance that they will commit suicide and end their lives. In other words, people are dying from being alone. We live in a world of evil. Evil is everywhere. But also, if evil is everywhere, there's opportunity everywhere. To say in the middle of this, how do I relate to God and how do I actively resist evil? So we got a lot of ground to cover today because we're going to handle the balance of Matthew chapter 5. If I'm reading this properly, Jesus gives us Five examples here, excuse me, six examples. The sermon just got longer. Six examples of here's evil in the world. Now, here's how to resist that evil, but also how to relate to God through that evil. And so, what Jesus is going to do for us is He's going to tell us, in fact, I'm just going to use six words to say, say, here's how we deal with evil in our world. 
I think it's better just to start with an example. Verse 21, you have heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, so there's the rule. Easy for a religious person relating to the rule, say, I just won't murder everyone, anyone, I'll be fine. But it goes deeper than that. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. In fact, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, let me stop there for just a moment. There are four words in the Bible that translators have chosen to leave untranslated, that they capture something in their native language that just can't be captured in a translation. One is hallelujah, one is hosanna, one is amen, and the fourth one is raka. It's a word that means you are worthless. Looking at other people and seeing them not as they truly are, as beings made in the image of God. So anyone who says to his brother and sister, Raka will be answerable to the courts. Whoever says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Go settle matters with your brother and sister. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're with them on the way or the judge will hand you over to the officer. The officer will throw you into jail. You will not get out until you pay the last penny. So here's what Jesus says. There's going to be evil in the world, and it's going to take the form of conflict between two people. You're going to have conflict with other people. Here's how you deal with that. In fact, I've chosen just to use the word from verse 25, settle matters quickly. How do we deal with evil in our world? And evil's everywhere, but there's an opportunity here as well to not relate to the rules, but actually to relate to God by settling matters quickly. Please, if you're in conflict with somebody in this room or somebody in your life, these are the words of Jesus. Here's what He's encouraging us to do. Here's what He's commanding us to do. Settle matters quickly. I promise not to use a bunch of Scotland stories, because I've just returned from there. Instead, I'll use a story from Ireland. <laughs> After our mission trip, my wife and I jumped over to Dublin, spent a few days, walked into St. Patrick's Cathedral. In the middle of St. Patrick's Cathedral is this wooden door on a stand, just out in the middle. And it had a hole in the middle of it, and it's called the Door of Reconciliation. Evidently, several hundred years ago, back in the day, there were the Butlers and the Fitzgeralds. Can't trust either one of them, as far as I'm concerned. And they were warring families, warring factions, so much so that the Fitzgeralds locked themselves inside the church. The butlers were trying to break down the door to get in because they were, they were actually fighting with one another. And finally, they both realized that, hey, if we continue to do this, we're going to destroy our families and destroy this church. So one of the Fitzgeralds cut a hole in the door and reached through and promised safe passage out of the city to the butlers. Just shake my hand and we'll give you free passage out. Well, the butlers weren't buying it, and they said, no, thank you. The leader of the Fitzgerald family did it again. He said, either shake my hand or cut it off, one or the other. Fortunately, the butlers reached out, shook the hands, and they were offered safe passage. Don't worry, they lived to fight another day. To this day, the Irish will, will use a phrase in re as a result of that occurrence, They'll call it to chance your arm. You're going to chance your arm. Let me tell you this. If there's a conflict between you and somebody else and you follow Jesus' commands to go deal with it quickly, 
There will be times when you will reconcile and resolve things. There will also be other times where you feel like your arm's been cut off. You let God handle them. You let God bring about the results that He wants to bring. You respond in obedience. And let me ask you, especially as your pastor, if there's conflict here in this church, I beg you, as your pastor and as a fellow follower of Jesus, church people are not perfect people. To expect anything else is unrealistic. We're still people. What makes the church different is not that we're perfect. What makes the church different is that we decide to forgive one another. And by the way, could I encourage you to do that in your marriage too? Your marriage vow essentially boils down to this. You have made the decision to forgive this one person for the rest of your life. Settle matters quickly. Evil is everywhere. That means the opportunity to obey is everywhere. Jesus gives another example. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your old body to go into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. There's a lot of amputation going on this morning as we're talking there. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What you're going to discover is that evil is not only out there between two people when they have conflict, evil's also in here. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn reminded us years ago in the Gulag Archipelago, he said that the line that divides good and evil does not run through nations or political parties. The line that divides good and evil runs right through the middle of every human heart. We have evil inside of us as well. If that is true, and it is, how do we deal with that evil? Radically. We deal with evil out here quickly. When we find it in here, we deal with it radically. And Jesus uses some hyperbole here. He talks about the eye as far as our attitudes and thoughts, our hands as far as our actions. Listen, when it comes to dealing with sin in our life, there can be no half measures. Sin will not compromise with you. You should not compromise with it. So let me give you some examples. Let's say you have problems with porn. Throw away your computer at home. That's radical. Yeah, I know. Or at least put your computer out in a public space where everyone can see what you're doing. And then get rid of your iPhone. Go for the dumb phone. Go back to 1995. It was a glorious year in 1995. Well, that's radical. That'd make my life more complicated. Yeah, but you're cutting off the opportunities to go down a road that you don't need. You have to deal with it radically. Here's another one. Hatred. Hatred is not acceptable for a follower of Jesus. And here's where God's working in my heart. As I've read through and reread through the message on the Mount every single day, I confessed this to my wife last week. I said, I realize I hate, and I named the person's name. Now, don't worry. They're not in this room. They're not a part of this church. But I said, I have harbored hatred in my heart for this person. Now, it might disturb you that your pastor has hatred for somebody. Yeah, it disturbs me too. We'll talk about this here in just a minute, but I'm not the standard of holiness. God is. Listen, if there is hatred in your heart, you must deal with it radically. And I have made a commitment, a pledge that I will pray for this person every single day until God fully writes my heart. Sin must be dealt with radically. 
The next one. By the way, this paragraph on divorce has caused a lot of people heartburn. Just hang on. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, this is exactly what the Bible says. In Deuteronomy, God made provision. By the way, divorce happens. It is real. It occurs. And sometimes that's the result of a broken relationship. But what some not-so-well-meaning people did was they used God's provision as permission. Okay, if I don't like the lady I'm married to, legally I can divorce her and marry whoever I find more pleasing, and I can repeat this over and over again. Basically, it's legalized adultery. And notice what happens. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality when the other partner has already broken the vows, makes her a victim of adultery. What does that mean? In Jesus' day, if a man divorced his wife, she could not even go back to her family of origin, and she would be forced to result to a lifestyle of prostitution in order to support herself. In essence, by divorcing her, you would cause her to become a victim of adultery. And then Jesus kind of turns it around, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Think of the third party. He's looking into another marriage and says, I really like her. I'm going to manipulate things so that they divorce, and then I can take advantage of the situation. Listen, I talk to a lot of couples who are concerned about divorce and remarriage, and have they committed an unforgivable sin? My bottom line is this, that, and this is my best understanding right now, that Jesus gives us a second chance in so many areas. Why would marriage not be one of those areas? What Jesus is advocating here is to deal with evil in the world justly, justly, just like I would want to be treated. So it's not taking advantage of others. It's not throwing them away. Listen, if you want to live 10 years longer today, I can tell you exactly how to do it. Moderate your drinking. Don't smoke. Get sleep at night. Exercise and eat about 2,000 calories a day, not of Twinkies, but of healthy calories every day. And you can extend your life by 10 to 20 years. But most people don't do that because we don't see the immediate benefit. What Jesus is saying is just deal with people justly, just like you would want to be treated. And you might not see the immediate results, but over the long term, the payoff is so good. There's evil everywhere. The opportunity to obey is everywhere. We deal with evil quickly, radically, justly. You still with me? Yes. Are you sure? Okay. We've got three more to go. Verse 33. Again, you've heard it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, it is His footstool, by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your hair, for you cannot excuse me, your head. That was a bad slip. (laughs) Don't swear by your hair because you ain't got none. (laughs) Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Here's how Jesus says we are to live in an evil world, truthfully. Just live truthfully. I played a game with my kids for so many years now. Whenever the boys would be out in the backyard, we'd be shooting hoops. I'd say, hey, Caleb, if you hit this next shot, I'll give you a thousand dollars. And then under my breath, I would say, in food. 
because raising my kids over the course of years, I've literally have spent thousands of dollars in food. So he'd hit the shot and he goes, Dad, I get $1,000. I said, in food. Oh, the more grand I made these statements, the less they could trust me, and that's exactly what I was shooting for. Listen, we don't need to make grand statements. When you're making a complaint, don't say, people are talking and everyone thinks, come on, you think it. And you think everyone thinks the way you do. Instead of making grand statements, just keep language simple. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Evil is everywhere. The opportunity to obey is also everywhere. Verse 38. You've heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to the one who asks. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is not how we should deal with evil, but this is how we should deal with people who perpetrate evil. We should deal generously with people. Even the most evil people we see in the world around us, to deal generously. And let me use one of the examples that Jesus does here, and just think through this. Let's say you come up and stand right in front of me. And I want to, as Jesus says, slap you on the right cheek. Well, that's this cheek. And the only way I can do that with my hand is to take the back of my hand, which in Jesus' day would be a rebuke, it would be a form of correction, and smack you on the, on the cheek, okay? If you turn the other cheek to me, you're turning your left cheek, now the only way for me to hit you with that same hand is with my open palm. Think Will Smith and Chris Rock. <laughs> you got it, okay? And in Jesus' day, as in ours, that wasn't just a rebuke, this was a deep insult to strike somebody with your open hand, deeply insulting. Is Jesus asking us to be doormats for evil? No. Here's what he's asking us to do, to respond in such a way. If somebody slaps me, I slap them back, it's just going to escalate. But if I put myself in a position to let myself be wounded again, and in so doing, allow the world to see how cruel that individual is. It exposes them for who they really are. And here's the greater hope, that as that person lifts their hand to strike, not only the whole world will see how evil they are, but maybe, just maybe, they'll see how evil they have become and go, wait, what am I doing? I've experienced this real time. Thank you. Since I've been 29 years old, you've allowed me to be pastor of this church. Thank you for waiting a lot of years for me to grow up because there are a lot of mistakes I made early on, one of which was in a meeting with a group of leaders, dignified, wonderful leader of this church. He and I were disagreeing on an issue, and I yelled at him, and I said some things I never should have said. Meeting was finished. I went around behind my desk to pick up a piece of paper. I'll never forget. He followed me, and he embraced me. Change happened for me that would have happened in no other way. I mean, if he would have talked smack with me, it would have been on. But he embraced me, and I decided then and there that night that I would never yell 
at another person again. I was going to be Bob Ross for the rest of my life <laughs> and just paint happy little trees because there's nothing productive. And how did he reach me with that? He reached me by loving me even when I didn't deserve it, by dealing with me generously. Okay, go try that this week. And it might not work all the time. But if we want people to see their evil in turn, we've got to do a better job than just slapping them back. One more. There's evil everywhere. There's also opportunity everywhere. Verse 43 is a misquotation of Scripture. Jesus is not misquoting. He's quoting something that's used at the time that wasn't accurate. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor. Okay, that's true. And hate your enemies. You look through the Scripture as much as you want. You will never find that. Jesus was quoting the common belief of his time that if the Bible says love your enemies, then using some logic, some gymnastics, you can get to the point where God has given us permission to hate our enemies as a result. Jesus says, you really don't get it, do you? As my old friend Tim Keller says, Jesus refuses to let us limit who we love and how we love. You've heard that, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? I think it's very important. We're not relating to rules. We're relating to God. There's a world full of evil. That means there's opportunity to obey that's everywhere. We deal with evil quickly. We deal with evil radically. We deal with evil justly. We deal with evil truthfully. We deal with evil people generously. And we deal with evil and evil people in our world lovingly. This is what Jesus commands us. This is hard. Here's a little show and tell. Asked my wife to go by the market and pick up some easy cheese. Yeah. It's from the finer family of your aerosol cheeses. That's my best line today, guys. I ain't got nothing better than that. Aerosol cheese. I, I was doing some reading on easy cheese lately. I've, I've been bored a lot lately. <laughs> little interesting fact, the FDA, um, it's called easy cheese, but the FDA has required them to put four little words here on the side of the can, cheddar pasteurized cheese snack, because there's one thing that easy cheese doesn't contain, cheese. That's exactly right. Even though it bears the name, it doesn't contain any cheese. I thought about doing a children's sermon and just doing shots with the kids. Wouldn't that be a lot of fun? Some adults would probably come down too, you yeah. know. This is expensive, by the way. I didn't realize how expensive easy cheese is. Don't worry, it will be consumed tonight in the Spoo household. Yeah. Just because you put the name on it doesn't make it so. Well... You might call yourself a Christian. I might call myself a Christian. Just putting the name on it, putting the name on my life doesn't make it so. If I'm really a Christian, and I'm not causing, asking anyone to doubt your salvation today, what I'm asking you is to be real with yourself. Are you just wearing the label, or are we really willing to do the hard things? 
There's evil everywhere. That means the opportunity to obey is everywhere. To deal with sin quickly, radically, justly, truthfully, generously, lovingly. I'm going to press my luck and ask you to hear one more thing today. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law related to, if I could just write the word up here, law, that, that's where their focus was right here. So what we do when we start our journey toward God, I think we come up here in law, I'm going to look at these rules and I'll try to live life this way. What you discover is you can't do it. You can't keep all the law. And so the law causes us to look for hope somewhere else, and it's the word grace. We discover we can't keep all the law. And so the law sends us to Christ so we can discover grace. And then once we understand what grace and forgiveness is, then Christ sends us back to the law and says, now here's how I want you to live. And what we discover is we try to live this way. We can't do it all. We need forgiveness. We come back to grace again and again and again as we understand how Christ wants us to live and as we rely on his forgiveness to get there. As one scholar put it this way, salvation is free. Salvation is surrender. Sanctification is war. It requires effort, but we rely on God's grace. And that's how we can be holy because our Heavenly Father is holy. Would you stand with me? Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.